The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you, and if you've listened before, thank you for coming back. If you're new, I hope you find a voice here of freedom, liberty, patriotism, a Muslim that's willing, able, and ready to take on radical Islam, to begin reform here at home, to take ownership of the problem of radical Islam, and hopefully to be one of the leaders in exposing networks of radicalization, networks of misogyny, networks of hate against the West, that are done in the name of Islam, and to begin to treat the real cancer from within. On this program, week to week, I bring you what I think are many of the fronts in the battles of ideas between freedom and liberty and political Islam and Islamism. And this week, like no other, like every other, I should say, is just full of examples, stories to talk about. But we try to drill down on a few that, uh, uh, some small, some larger stories, that I think hold within them nidices of education, clinics, if you will. And, you know, I'm sorry if the the medical analogies get uh, a little tiring, but uh, (laughs) that's what happens when a doctor does a podcast. Um, And, you know, my approach to radical Islam is like a doctor, the patient being society, being the Muslim consciousness, and the cancer being theocracy, Salafi, Jihadi, Islam. This week there was a story that, for many of us who've been active in the reformed movement, is not a surprise for women who are brave and courageous against this heinous act of female genital mutilation. They've been trying to expose this, but to many of you, it's the first time you're hearing in some of the mainstream media, certainly not enough but some of the mainstream media, the fact that there are young girls subjected by their families and by doctors, so-called doctors, to female genital mutilation. The studies show that there are somewhere of 100 to 200 million girls and women that have experienced this, been subjected to it. The UN has even been quite clear 
on their zero tolerance policy, having an annual recognition of this on February 6th. Zero tolerance. There's a doctor that was just arrested by the name of Jumana Nadarwala, a Henry Ford emergency room doctor that was arrested by the feds for committing the acts on two specific seven-year-old underage girls. She had been doing it at a peripheral institution, not at Henry Ford, but at another clinic. This story came out last week. According to the criminal complaint, she had performed the procedure on girls 68 years old. They identified two of them that she's being arraigned for, but their story is that there are many others. And the horrific thing is that these poor girls were brought in from out of state, Minnesota, their parents telling them that it was just a special girl's trip to try to help them with their tummy ache. There's no even authenticity to the fact that the girls felt bad at all. They were being convinced that they had a tummy ache. Phone records were discussed by the federal agents. Thankfully to a law that made the commission of FGM, female genital mutilation, or any type of procedure on the genitals of young girls prohibited, illegal, and a federal crime. And this is the first doctor indicted on this crime. The child victim stated that she had no she had had to go to the doctor to get the germs out upon a medical exam, independent exam on April eleventh. A doctor determined that the child's genitals had been altered or removed. Child identified Dr. Nagarwala, 44-year-old Dr. Nagarwala, as the doctor who performed the procedure. According to the complaint, despite her oath to care for patients, Nagarwala is alleged to have performed these horrifying acts of brutality on the most vulnerable victims, said Acting Assistant Attorney General Blanco in Michigan. And the Department of Justice, hats off to them, said they're committed to stopping FGM in this country and will use the full power of the law to ensure that no girls suffer such physical and emotional abuse. We then released at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, the nonprofit, the reform group that I founded, a press release stating that healthcare professionals, especially physicians, should be the safest people for our children to encounter outside their families, not ones that will mutilate and abuse them. We at the front lines of reform at the American Islamic Forum know that this procedure is one of the ideological symptoms of misogyny, of Islamism, and its regular violation and performance of FGM and the abuse upon women and girls, especially through efforts to destroy and control their body sexuality, is a symptom of Wahhabi, Salafi, and radical Islam. As a physician... I'm horrified. As a father, I can't describe the words. I'm appalled, but not surprised. There are thousands of cases in the United States that we know of and millions around the world. We then 
we then at our organization did some research and quickly found as would be expected remember this is the rest of this doctor focused the entire attention of the community of michigan and america saying oh this doctor is the evil one she's the tip of the iceberg her hands were the evil practitioners but the community the ideology the families the imams the clerics the mosque that she led in are the deeper cancer didn't take too long to research in a few days and start to put together some of the names and we immediately sent a letter within 24 hours to the mosque that she belonged to and in that letter too the president of Anjuman and Najmi the Detroit Jamaat Daudi Bora Muslim community the Daudi Boras are an Ismaili Shia sect that in some ways many times are persecuted in India for some of their other beliefs as a as a sect if you will that are trying to we're trying to be independent but when it comes to FGM they're as guilty as so many other Muslims Sunni Shia this is not simply a Bora activity but obviously this community because it's tight-knit and insular and felt that this procedure is part of their Islamic faith provided the network and the communication to get it done and because their leadership condoned it and this is why we should focus if you look at these doctors it's not just about the Bora community many aspects of that community actually have some areas we can learn from and reform but this is the most egregious part that what we learn from is the evil of the misogyny committed in the name of Islam so it's not just about them being a sect but rather that they had them network mechanics to get this done and we sent them a letter saying I along with my team am seeking your urgent response on the matter of grave importance we're confident that you're aware of the case of Dr. Nagawala and her commission of the act of Khatna for the Boras they call it Khatna which is a cutting to release the clitoral hood what they feel is part of their procedures for their religious obligation it is whatever they want to call it it is FGM the New York Times said they wouldn't use the word FGM they called it female genital cutting because FGM is associated with so much cultural baggage in many communities and, and then you wonder why moderate voices are suppressed why we don't get Muslims to own up this is why we sent a letter from our Muslim organization to this mosque we said I said to them in this this is a deplorable and devastating discovery of a physician who abused the trust of girls in the American medical system in order to carry out mutilation and torture of young women and child children a brief review of Dr. Nagawala's biography and online footprint indicates that she may be an active member of your community we also note that Dr. Murtaza Hussein who works at the Livernoy Medical Center Family Medical Center in Detroit was arraigned a few years earlier in 54B District Court in East Lansing on charges related to alleged Medicaid fraud and insurance fraud it's unclear if this is the same Hussein as the secretary of your organization 
but it probably speaks, and the addresses match, it probably speaks to a larger network of illegal medical activity. And by the way, two days after we sent this letter, another physician, Dr. Attar, was arrested by the feds for participating in the network and facilitating the FGM criminal activity of Dr. Nakawala. So again, that speaks to the letter that I know this mosque received and signed for. Unfortunately, the letter that you wrote, signed by Dr. Hussein, and signed by Saifuddin Barbawala, your president, dated May 11, 2016, instructed your community to abide by the law of the land. And I say unfortunately, because that letter did not condemn all FGM, or khatna as you call it, globally, but instead only instructed the community to abide by the laws of this land. We hope that you'll revisit that recommendation and put out an unequivocal condemnation of all khatna. Thus we write to number one, encourage your swift public condemnation of Dr. Nagawala. Two, you insist that you carry out a rigorous investigation into this practice in your community, seeking out any individuals who may have worked with her to facilitate these crimes against girls and women. You should turn in any participants and facilitators, regardless of their stature in the community, publicly dispose and expose of any connection between Dr. Murtaza Hussein, his medical network and members in your organization, and publish your findings and commitment to the end of all forms. You know, it's amazing to me. Even the letter posted on their website doesn't say it's un-Islamic. Doesn't say that the mutilation of women's genitals, girls' genitals at seven years old, is a corrupt destruction of human autonomy, of human sovereignty and free will and abuse at the hands of a physician and their families. No, it doesn't say that. It says, well, since we're in America, you must follow the laws of the land, and it is an illegal activity. So basically, they're telling them not to be anarchists. You know, one of the analogies I used as a physician was, remember when they used to try to get needles to drug users and say, well, it doesn't matter, just as it's an underground thing, even if it's illegal and it doesn't come through the pharmacies. And by the way, one of these doctors and their leadership is also online in discussion groups talking about getting drugs in from India to give to refugees since it's cheaper to do that. And you can, he has discussions on how to do that in their luggage. So these folks look at Western American law as sort of something to get around or to honor because it's the law, not because they believe in it. So then you wonder why our community are led by immoral, corrupt theologians and leaders. It's no wonder when they condemn the acts of Al-Qaeda, they're condemning the acts, the means, not the ends. Oh, they blame American policy. They blame the Jews and other conspiracy theories, but they never take ownership for it. It's the same thing here. Exact same thing. Why do you see the continuation of barbaric medieval procedures done in Africa? And in here, you see radicals like Dawood Walid 
the head of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, who on this podcast I have talked to you about how he made statements in Easter about Ahmadis, in which he said nobody, that that Ahmadi shopkeeper who was shot because he had a Happy Easter sign on the window of his store, he said, well, that was wrong. But he said, we should not as Muslims wish Christians a happy Easter. We reject that holiday. And I talked to you about that. Well, Dawood Walid in Detroit didn't send a letter like we sent. No, he simply had one little line as a letter to the editor saying, we condemn this procedure, it's un-Islamic. And this is a, a, a deviant sect of Islam that did this. Are, are you kidding me? Hello, where is the media? Where are the marches? The Council on American-Islamic Relations should have been marching in the streets if they truly have a, a, a sense of moral prioritization of what's the worst cancers in our community. But no, they'll march if, a, if, if one non-Muslim yells something that they believe is hate speech. They'll be marching in the streets of Dearborn to the thousands. But you have a Muslim doctor exposed as being a facilitator of abuse against young women and girls, and all they can do is send a two-line editorial and nothing on their website about it. Nothing. When we come back, I want to talk to you more about this very important issue of FGM and the real, the real importance to it, to real Muslim reform. This is Zudi Jasser, and I'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This. Thank you for being with me this week. And I know this, I have to tell you, this subject is a, a very emotional one for me because it sort of crosses all of the areas of my life. As a father, as a husband, as a brother, as a physician, as an American, as a humanitarian, this procedure, while it's one of many things done in the name of Islam that need reform, taking a five, six-year-old girl, why do they do this? They do it because they believe that according to the Prophet's discussions in Scripture, I don't believe this is genuine. I think it needs deep reforms from scholars. But whatever corrupt hadith they use says that they believe a girl is born hypersexual and that in order to treat that condition and, and blunt her sexuality, she needs either removal of the clitoral hood or a desexualization with a clitorectomy. So most of the millions upon millions 
that are subjugated to FGM do so because the families believe they will be dirty. They will be hypersexual and not normal Muslims without it. That is horrific. That is the reality. And to those who want to compare it to male circumcision, just get out of here. That's absurd. The theological basis for male circumcision has nothing to do with an intent to desexualize men. It all has to do with tradition, cleanliness, and other issues that I won't even waste the time of honoring with a discussion of comparison. When we sent this letter, we ended the letter to the community that has now, by the way, we have screenshots of all this. They've shut down their website. They have now hired a public relations firm to deal with the response. And the response from the attorney is that she did not do, Dr. Nagawala did not do female genital mutilation. She simply removed some mucus in a religious procedure. <laughs> That's not, A, what the independent exam said from the federal government. And B, that's not what Khatna and their community is. That's not what the desexualization procedure does. Removing mucus doesn't do that. Now, I will tell you, I'm very active in the AMA, and last year in February, there was a story, there was a report, an academic journal entry in the most prestigious medical ethics journal, I was horrified to read this piece by two respected physicians. One is Dr. Aurora, A-R-O-R-A, out of Case Western, and the other is a physician out of SUNY. And they wrote a piece that there should be a compromise procedure for girls that can be done by physicians on young girls to obviate the need for them to go to Africa or elsewhere to get the procedure done because they felt there's this underground network of families who take their girls to get this done. So the best way to avoid it is to have them do a compromise procedure, and they called it a nicking procedure. I asked the AMA in their annual meeting, since I'm a delegate there, to re-up their no FGM policy and make it clear that that includes no nicking and to condemn this procedure of nicking as being against everything we stand for as physicians. Well, the debate ensued. The, the author of that article actually happened to be at the AMA delegation conference in Chicago last June. And she actually also represents the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the AMA meeting. Her paper, by the way, was discussed as controversial at, on CNN, BBC, and globally upon its release. And I think it's beyond controversial. It is an abomination that anyone thinks that any type of procedure to a girl, whether it's a lesser of evils or whatever, that somehow there's a way to compromise on the cultural mindset, regardless of how medically and physically scarring you can prove that it's minimally done. The process of that procedure itself makes the girl feel inferior, makes her feel dirty, makes her feel that sexuality is evil and needs to be blunted. Look at what the procedure is about. Not only the trauma to the girl, but 
what the procedure is done for. And no physician, no parent should ever feed into that culture of hate, of misogyny. And the organizations that turn a blind eye to that are just as guilty. There are so many great organizations out there doing work against FGM. We should be screaming their names from the rooftops. There are so many, so many courageous organizations out there. One that reached out to us to thank me and thank our organization for the work we did. Just in with Dr. Nagarwala's uh, um, education that we're trying to educate America on is Sahiyo.com. S-A-H-I-Y-O.com. Their founder, their executive director reached out to thank me. She has specifically been focusing on stopping the small nick this procedure that uh, is called female genital cutting or mutilation. And she reached out so that we can work together in the future. There are other organizations called Stop FGM, the Ian Hersey Ali Foundation. So many out there are doing the work, and yet all we hear about are the Islamist groups. Council on American Islamic Relations, Muslim Public Affairs Council, they're all simply, all they care about is Muslim rights in America, we're right to wear the hijab, right to not be yelled at, Islamophobia, all of the bidding of these foreign governments that want America out of the business of their theocracy. And meanwhile, our young girls, our children, are being abused, physically cut, mutilated, desexualized, their bodily autonomy taken, and it took a federal agent and who knows how many months and years of investigation to unroof the first doctor and now the second doctor of what is clearly a large network of Islamists and medieval barbarians who treat women, not even as second, third class, as inhuman beings that they can control and destroy. We look forward to now working stronger and better with groups like Sahiyo. Their work was focused on the Dawoodi Bora community. I believe, and this is one of the things I told the Detroit reporter that thanked me for seeing our letter. I told him, I said, please, don't just make allow the Islamists like your local care rep to dismiss this as being oh just the this is just the actions of the bora so you know shia ismaili community this is not an islamic problem and it's not permitted in islam according to sheikh dawood walid of care denial 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 the statistics are just horrific at the countries in which this happens And Susan Quinn of Ricochet laid out some of the statistics, and she notes that in her search on the internet for people who have spoken out about this, all she could find was my comments, the press release we sent, and the comments of Ian Hersey Ali on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News. And then she gave some of the statistics on FGM globally and pointed out that it is horrific that the female, the feminist rights movements, 
those who believe in Western civil liberties are not leading the battle to expose the plague that is the underbelly of misogyny in communities that fester this and allow this to happen. And if you look at the numbers by prevalence, it's not just where the Daudi Boras are. You see the prevalence by age of FGM. Statistically, Egypt, 91%. Eritrea, 88%. Ethiopia, 74%. Nigeria, 38%. Sudan, 88%. Yemen, 38%. These are not just African countries. They're Arabic countries. They are Iraq, 8%. So, listen. We have to look at some of the scripture that talks about this. It's not in anywhere in the Quran. There are certain hadith that I believe need to be delegitimized as not being authentic. There's a couple passages that talk about the Prophet mentioning such a thing. I don't believe he did so. And you can look at authentic debates about some people that say that that hadith is sahih or authentic and others scholars who say it is not but certainly there's nothing about desexualizing women and the need to remove that for sexualization and desexualization because they're hypersexual that is nonsense this all needs to be addressed head-on we can no longer foster and enable a community that continues in denial in the rejection of the reality of what we need to face. This FGM is the tip of the iceberg of a community that gives women half a vote in court based on their interpretation of that Quranic passage that says to do that. I think it needs to be modernized. Other passages that according to Wahhabis or Salafi jihadists that say that a woman that's a quarter of the inheritance of a man or that she may not work or that she may be beaten all of these things are misogynistic I believe not the Islam I learned un-Islamic from my Islam and the Islam that I learned from my parents and my grandparents but I would be in denial if I believe that that is not the Islam of Iran of Saudi Arabia of large movements in Egypt, Pakistan, Afghanistan, the Taliban, etc. These are movements that get inspired in the way they treat women, the way ISIS enslaves and abuses women. They get that from Shafi'i interpretations, books like The Reliance of the Traveler, which is a Shafi'i Sharia Medheb school of thought. Medheb means school of thought that is on the bookshelves of most Islamic society of North America mosques. And look it up. There is an injunction about FGM in there. Imam Qardawi, for many years at IslamOnline.net, one of the most previously most traveled websites on the planet, had an apologetic about FGM. He has an, a weekly show on Al Jazeera called Sharia and Life. So come on. Don't let Muslims get away with denial and dismissing it. This is a conversation we need to have. Media, universities, interfaith organizations, if they truly are liberal, need to demand that Muslims demonstrate publicly what they're going to do. 
And I think this network of, you know, this insular community, if you look at the links, the groups that the, the uh, uh, board members they had, the second arrest that was just made, the second arrest was of Dr. Attar, who was indicted on charges that he provided the clinic since he owns the clinic where she performed these illegal surgeries on girls as young as six. Atar's wife was also arrested because she held the hands and participated in the procedure. They were arrested for providing that clinic, providing that environment in which this doctor performed these evil procedures. They facilitated them. They provided the environment. Now, while she works for Henry Ford Clinic, they reported that the alleged criminal activity did not occur at any Henry Ford facility. We would never support this, their spokesperson said. She performed it at the Borhani Medical Clinic in the suburb of Livonia, which is owned and operated by Farkadin Attar, and his wife is the office manager. So what I, can, what I hope you see here is that it took me a few days and our research team a few days to pull out names of board members, the connections, the networks, and you find out that they're physicians, many of them, that have the networks and the facilities. And it didn't take us long to see that some of them were indicted previously for Medicaid fraud and start to put together that this is usually just like terrorism. When we saw the act just last year committed in Belgium in November 2014, committed in Paris, I'm sorry, and then four months later, another act committed in, in Belgium. They hid out from authorities. The entire EU security apparatus could not find them, and they committed a second act of terror while holding out in Bolenbeek, Belgium. So the communities may not have committed the act, but they protected the radicals from society for months. And all of the facilitators and the accomplices should be arrested, exposed, and the leadership should be writing letters not only about following the laws of the land, but of telling their, their community it is their Islamic obligation to modernize these ideas. So FGM, women's rights, is no different than terrorism, political Islam, Islamism, and the ideology of theocratic patriarchy that is the cancer that we need to treat. Learn more about this. Expose the organizations that are facilitating this and lift up the organizations that are reforming this, like our American Islamic Forum, like Sahio.com, and so many others. Thank you for listening, and we'll be right back to talk more reformation to all you reformers and helpers out there. This is Zudi Jasser, and I'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. You know, Jeffy's not only married, but has been married... Well, how many times? Mm-hmm. Um, several times. And you guys live with um, her parents, so uh, you can relate to this. Yeah, so you actually be involved in this statistic. Now, Jeffy actually is a millennial as well. He's just a 1800s into the 1900 millennial. Right. Um, so he's a millennial in the fact that he's been alive for a millennium. Right. <laughs> 
Matt and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This. It's always great to be with you and another week with a lot of stories, a lot of uh, examples of where we can push the envelope, where we can demand that America live up to its values, its founding values, to be that city on a hill, to be that bastion of liberty and protect our security against the threats. And the threats that I can help you with here on Reform This is the threat from Islamism, political Islam, the theocrats of the planet that hatch these radical movements, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and others, that are just the tip of the iceberg. We talked about female genital mutilation, the horror that afflicts, sadly, the subjugated women of political Islam around the planet, and what we can learn and what we have yet to learn from the two doctors so far that have been arrested and hopefully soon to be convicted of the horrific crime against these seven-year-old girls of FGM. And now, actually, I want to add one thing to that. The attorney this week for Dr. Attar, who provided the internal medicine clinic where this procedure was done, as she left the courthouse, told Josh Loden, the Fox News reporter, the Fox TV local Detroit reporter, she told him that she believes this doctor is being persecuted because of his religion. Yes, because of his religion. That is absurd. I wanted to throw up when I heard that. And yet the right are considered bigots? Here's, a, here's an attorney, Marie Chathier, who has defended weed and other far-left causes and has the temerity to defend this misogynistic Neanderthal who believes that removing parts of the genitalia of a young girl are part of a cleansing ritual. And she's saying that he's being attacked for a harmless procedure which her client lies to her and lies to America by saying that it was simply removing mucus when in fact we know that a separate independent exam on the poor girls showed that they had damage to their genitalia. And she wants us to believe that this is persecution because of religion. So who's the bigot? Isn't it the bigot? Isn't it bigotry? for an attorney to hold Muslims to a lesser, to a bigotry of low expectations, that, oh, this is just their faith, quit persecuting them. We don't care how they treat young girls. Where are the feminist marches in front of Attar's clinic that now is being indicted? If this was an abortion clinic, they would have been lined up for miles. And if it was about pro-life, the left would have been lined up for miles. The right is on this issue. The right knows about it. And if the abortion clinic, what I meant to say is if they had been trying to close it, uh, 
they would have been lined up for miles from the left. But there's no out, there's no outcry for feminist values when it's a minority voting block that they want to protect. There's no outcry for feminist values when it's conveniently insular inside a network of community that's underground and not visible to the rest of the left that they use to say that they protect the minorities from the bogeyman of the Muslim ban, from the uh, bogeyman of identity politics. So think about that. And you know, I was also I was also struck by an op-ed that appeared in the Hartford Current this week, small news, newspaper in, in Connecticut, and a PR entrepreneur by the name of Parnian Imami, an Iranian immigrant, 23 years old published a op-ed called I'm not giving up on America. She says in the Persian call in the Persian culture the first day of spring Nowruz is a day of to celebrate fresh starts. And she said when she was 9 years old her mother emigrated from Iran to the United States after she she experienced the limitations that Iran placed on women. America shone like a beacon of opportunity. And it took years for her to overcome Iranian laws restricting girls' travels and navigate the U.S. visa process and reunite with her mom. For six years, she lived with her grandparents. And then she said, I will never forget walking up to the booth at the American embassy in Tehran. That's what the first version of this story said, American embassy in Tehran. They later, when I tweeted the editors and others and said, oh, that's interesting. There was no American embassy in Tehran. Now the article conveniently says it's been corrected. The location doesn't say from Tehran. It just says the location and the embassy has been corrected. This place where she could never forget walking up to was actually the American embassy in Ankara, Turkey. And she learned that her visa application had finally been granted. She was shaking. She couldn't believe it was real. This time in her life when she could never forget it. After growing up with certainty, it was finally a new day. And then she goes on to describe her life in America, how wonderful that is, and how it all got set back when Trump announced his travel ban. Those hopes for her family family to unite fell apart. Her grandfather's illness and fragility was then made it impossible for him to board an airplane. And she goes on to say that she's not going to give up on America, but now America has fallen to its worst. So yes, she does criticize Iran a little bit, Miss Imami, but there's no doubt that the majority, the vast purpose of this editorial is to malign America, to malign President Trump, to malign conservatives and say that America is at its worst through this Muslim ban, which she never even talks about the details of the seven countries. Iran is not an ally. It would never care if they sent Hezbollah, Assadists, or even ISIS here. So she uses her own narrative, fabricating parts of it until they are confronted publicly to say this narrative that clearly is based on embellishment. And that's why to me it mattered when I tweeted them out and said, 
Wait a minute. You said embassy. I mean, you, you never forget going to the American embassy in Iran. There hasn't been an American embassy in Tehran since 1979. So the story is embellished. The story, God knows which other parts of it that she never forgot actually didn't really happen. And not to mention, America is about real dissidents. Yes, real dissidents are welcome in the United States. But somebody who, yes, she talked a little bit about women's rights, but nothing mentioned about Iranian theocracy that has decimated genocidally the Syrian people. Nothing mentioned about Khamenei and his Islamic Supreme Council that is one of the most draconian governments in the world. That's what you talk about if you're a real American that loves this country and its laws and hates theocracy and hates those who oppress dissidents. But no, the point of her editorial wasn't to talk about loving American freedom when juxtaposed to Iranian theocracy. No, the point of her editorial was to critique and malign American conservatives, to critique and malign American policy that is forward against President Trump, American policy that is forward to protect us where our president now, contrary to the previous president, cares about national security to the point of beginning a process of vetting not against Muslims, but against Islamists, against those, whether Shia or Sunni, who do not believe in our way of life. And I'm sorry, this Parniyan Imami, 23, when she was 15 years old, apparently, at the embassy in Turkey, wanted to come here, but was it because she rejected Islamism? Maybe she wanted more rights for women, but the Brotherhood talks about rights for women. The Islamists of Iran often have women that disagree with the patriarchy. But do they reject political Islam? Do they reject Islamism? Do they reject Hezbollah? Do they reject Assad and his evil? Or the Muslim Brotherhood or ISIS and its evil and the Wahhabi origins of them? That's what vetting is about. And it is so important for us as you look at these different stories, not to get pulled into the, as we always call the left, uh, the, the, the bleeding heart aspect of it, but the reality of the ideology, the reality of the point that we need to be, we can't do moral equivalencies where Iran all of a sudden becomes morally equivalent with the United States that wants to protect itself from theocrats that want to destroy us. We are not morally equivalent to Iran. Iran is one of the worst offenders of human rights on the planet. And Iranian Americans who want to stand by American principles should not just passingly in one or two sentences talk about women's rights, but should focus focus our need for reform upon those regimes and Iranian and Muslim communities domestically that will work together to defeat political Islam and Iranian theocracy and Shia supremacism and Sunni supremacism. So that's what America is about to me, and that's the work that we try to do and reform this. This is Udi Jasser, and I'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. 
Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. To reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. And this is our last segment. I appreciate you sticking with me. And what have we learned this week so far? Well, we've learned that. Not only will we not tolerate FGM in America, but globally we will demand, Muslim groups, Muslim leaders should demand that American Muslims not only just say it's not Islamic, but unroof the networks, lead the cause, and insist that we hold clerics accountable for saying that it is immoral, unethical, un-Islamic, inhuman against the very being of who we are as universal humanitarians to tolerate any justification for any form of FGM. We'll follow this case from week to week as things go on, and we'll talk about it, and uh, I'll keep you updated. Next, we learned about the fact that, well, you know, these bleeding heart stories that are wonderful. I mean, I'm a son of immigrants, and America was certainly that city on a hill, but be careful that those stories that are done really just to, as the Iranian immigrants' story was done to split along partisan lines for a primary narrative that's against administration. It's almost as if we, remember I've said before that we finished eight years where any disagreement with policy of the Obama administration was considered racism. Now, any agreement with policy, whether we'd support it or not, Trump, during the campaign, which, as many of you may recall, I did not, but I'm a conservative. So many of his policies he puts forth I'm going to agree with. So it can't be now that anytime we agree with policies, we become racist. And that's what the Iranian immigrants lecture at the Hartford Current, which happened to have some stories that were fabricated about, oh, a Tehranian embassy, etc. And last, I bring you back to, there's a story of a terrorist that I think sort of highlights what I hope the shift in this administration's approach to counterterrorism will be. Silicon Valley man, as Daily Caller reported this week, who had provided logistical support and recruited Al-Qaeda, had his U.S. citizenship revoked by a federal judge. Now, I can't recall the last administration going out of its way to doing that right away. The Egyptian-born Khalid Abu Dahab, 57 years old, confessed to being a member of the Islamic Egyptian Islamic Jihad, an Al-Qaeda affiliate, and 
They also said that he had personal ties to Osama bin Laden. Dahab told investigators that he ran a communications hub for the terrorist network from his apartment in Santa Clara, California. He recruited Americans to join Al-Qaeda, and he had received congratulations from bin Laden himself. Judge Howell of the U.S. District Court of Columbia entered an order that revoked Dahab's natural U.S. citizenship and enjoined him from claiming any rights of citizenship. The order further demanded that Dahab immediately surrender his certificate of naturalization to federal authorities, Department, official, Department of Justice officials said. Attorney General Jeff Sessions praised the decision and said he would seek to aggressively pursue denaturalization of known and suspected terrorists in the future. So, listen, you know, we can talk about what to do with Gitmo prisoners, whether they deserve the rights of citizens or not, but that's the other equation. I certainly don't think they do. I think they're prisoners of war. We are in a war. And certainly, I can tell you that the ground zero of this battle is that allegiance, is that loyalty, is that sense of which country they would die for. And if these people decide they're going to be loyal to jihad and help radical terrorist networks, they certainly don't want to die for America, and they certainly are trying to weaken us from within by either facilitating acts of terror or networks of Islamism, the ideology that wants to destroy us, or helping our enemies abroad. So not only does that violate our citizenship oath, and you know, listen, if this needs an act of Congress, if there should be lists of terrorists that have their citizenship revoked while they sit in jail, so be it. Let's do it. Because I think this process, the process of a conversation about what entails the oath of citizenship and what happens when you violate it, you lose the privileges, and that the state also has a right to make sure that its citizens remain loyal to our constitution and our law. Now, I'm sure the libertarians, which, you know, I caught myself among them, will have a response that uh, this is a slippery slope, and they even, at the time, went apoplectic when we used the drone to target Imam Olaki an American-born imam that not only was radicalized himself on our soil to become a leading, leading cleric in the Al-Qaeda radicalized network, but also radicalized many, including the Fort Hood Al-Qaeda operative Nidal Hassan, who I've talked about here before, who wore a uniform horrifically, took the same oath I did and and even more horrifically, had some of the same bio that I did, having gone through medical school and on military scholarship, etc. But at the end of the day, we are at war. Did they want proof that Olaki had declared war? There are videos, there's tons of information that he had. And yet we're supposed to pluck him out of Yemen and bring him here to a court proceeding? <laughs> Nonsense. Nonsense. This individual, Dahab, 
who now had his citizenship stripped, did have due process, is under, after being naturalized in February 1997, he traveled to Egypt and was arrested by Egyptian authorities. He was later convicted and sentenced to a 15-year prison term. So he sits in a foreign government, but we knew, we knew that he had become allied with Al-Qaeda and had been praised by them. So why not strip him of his citizenship? And I'd say the only thing we did wrong with Awlaki is we probably should have done exactly what we did now with Dahab, is strip him of his citizenship. And I wrote a piece at the time in 2010 when this happened saying that we Muslims should be cheering from the rooftops that one of the greatest enemies of America and thus one of the greatest blights on the Islamic community was brought to justice with a drone. But no, groups like the Muslim Public Affairs Council will write policy papers against drones. You'll see Senator Rand Paul um, do a filibuster hours and hours about these things. And at the end of the day, that attack made us safer. We need, especially, and now I'm just talking about Muslims, we need to teach our youth that the citizenship oath is precious, this constitution is precious, and we need to defeat the greatest threat to the principles of that constitution, which is political Islam, the Islamic State, the Sharia State. And I think that this idea of stripping citizenship is one of the front lines of this battle. Because if Muslims can own up to the fact that we want no other citizenship than a secular state like America that is under God, but based in reason and not based in religious or canonic law, and thus for Muslims in a Muslim-majority country, we would be against an Islamic state based in Sharia, Sharia law. That is the debate. It's very different for a secular state to strip a citizenship of an individual. And this is where the debate needs to happen. You may, not, you may want to do a moral equivalency and say, well, when an Islamic state apostatizes a Muslim dissident and says they are no longer Muslim and thus should be put to death, how is that any different than a secular state stripping a citizenship of an enemy of the land? Well, it's very different because our freedom in this country is based on individual rights of liberty and freedom and dissent. Free speech does not have limits in the United States. So this man is not having a citizenship stripped because of what he said, but because of his declaration of war against America. So when we look at what the Saudis do, the vast majority of Saudi citizens in their jail are in there because they've been declared blasphemers, heretics, apostates. Why? Because criticizing the king, criticizing certain interpretations by imams and clerics, the, the jurists out of Jeddah or Mecca are considered apostasy to criticize them. It's considered blasphemy when people, courageous people like Rafe Bedoui are put in jail for tweeting or hitting the like button on a Christian Facebook page. 
that doesn't even come anywhere near the same planet of an American government that decides finally, which we should have done earlier, strip the citizenship of naturalized Muslim citizens that became deep, deep traitors to this country. Rafe Bedoui wasn't a traitor to Saudi Arabia. He sits in jail as a patriot who wants to liberate his country from the oppression of the theocracy of the Saudi royal family. So this is what this battle is, and I've talked about this before. This battle is about defining what it means to be American, Egyptian, Saudi, how we marginalize theocracy and bring to the forefront liberty, freedom, and a sense of individual identity that government will protect every one of our ideas, no matter how offensive it may be, as long as we're not preaching imminent, direct acts of violence against other human beings. That's American. That's freedom. And thank God that we have a government with the courage to now strip citizenship of radicals who had claimed to be American while they tried to destroy our nation either from here or from Egypt. The fronts of reform are many. The protection of women's rights against invasion of their bodily autonomy. The appreciation of real dissidents that America will bring in only those who are real dissidents and not those who write about it to only exploit it for partisan issues. And lastly, I cherish my citizenship and I always will. And I will hold other Muslims accountable. And we should scream from the rooftops that we want Muslim citizens that are American first and everything else second to lead this charge to protect this country against political Islam and all the enemies foreign and domestic. Thank you for joining me again this week on Reform This. This is Zudi Jasser. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. 